Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 171 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. We've got a really special episode for you this week. Uh, the episode features a photographer who probably does not need much introduction as he is widely considered one of the most accomplished modern landscape and nature photographers. William Neal got his roots and upbringing in landscape photography while living in the Yosemite Valley and working with Ansel Adams Gallery beginning in 1980. He began writing columns for Outdoor Photographer magazine in 1986. Suffice to say, he has a lifetime's worth of incredible photographic product and a wealth of knowledge and perspective, which we attempted to tap into here on the podcast this week. Bill and I discussed some really fascinating topics, including how he got his beginning in photography and writing for Outdoor Photographer magazine, what it was like learning from the greats in landscape photography like Ansel Adams, various media formats to consume and to learn about landscape photography, such as On Landscape, Nature Photographers Network, and Lenswork, his secret for staying creative over many years in the field, and we go into a lot of depth around his new book, which is called Light on the Landscape. And I was able to get an advanced copy of his book, and it is really quite wonderful. And um, I pulled some quotes out of it for the conversation, and we dive deep. Over on Patreon this week, William shares his advice on how to best grow as a photographer, and we discuss his approach to portfolio development. All right, well, before we get started, I wanted to take a moment to remind listeners about a movement that I helped to create and one in which William and I discuss further later on in the podcast, Nature First. You too can join the movement for responsible nature photography. There's no membership fee, no ads, no gimmicks, no hidden agendas. It is just your opportunity to be a part of a global movement of nature photographers dedicated to caring for and being stewards of the natural world. Learn more at naturefirstphotography.org. Okay, let's get to the show. William Neal, I am super excited to finally have you on the podcast. I can't tell you how long I've been waiting to finally make this a reality. So thank you so much for helping us do that. Well, I'm excited to be here. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and really enjoy learning about new photographers and more about photographers that I uh, know of. And so um, I'm excited to be here. It took us a while, but we did it. We pulled it off, even though we actually taught together out of Yosemite and saw each other's face over and over and over again. We we both found that the demands of teaching at a big workshop doesn't allow you a ton of free time. <laughs> yeah, virtually none. Just barely yeah. enough time to sleep. Yeah, sometimes not even that. <laughs> right. That was yeah. a good time. It was a good time. Awesome, man. Well, I mean, obviously, I think probably... A hundred of the past 150 guests have recommended you. So you, you come, you come very highly recommended. And, uh, so for, for the, for the two listeners that have never heard of you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a photographer that specializes in landscape and nature photography. I've lived in the Yosemite area since 1977. 
Before that, I went to college in Boulder, Colorado, and studied uh, environmental conservation. And a year after that, I was looking for something to do with my life, and I ended up in Yosemite. And I first worked for the National Park Service and then kind of stumbled into a job at the Ansel Adams Gallery in 1980. And that was a big change in my life because I I went from being a maintenance man for the NPS to being a photographer in residence uh, at Ansel's Gallery. And I got to know Ansel while working there and meet a lot of other famous photographers from Ernest Haas, John Sexton, Joel Meyerowitz. Um, so it was a big education for me. Yeah. Well, what was it like living in the Yosemite Valley and, you know, being in such esteemed company? <laughs> it was, uh, it was exciting. I was in my mid twenties and, and, uh, eager to learn. And I was kind of starting to, uh, learn how to teach when I took uh, tourists out for camera walks in Yosemite. Um, Every June, Ansel uh, had a, a two one-week workshops, and so I got to uh, hear a lot of lectures and meet a lot of photographers and go out on some of the field sessions. And uh, one of the great things about Ansel's workshops is he brought uh, photographers from all kinds of types of photography, from still life, uh, portraiture, uh, Arnold um Arnold Newman was a famous portraitist, portrait photographer, uh, and it taught me something that I've valued ever since. Is, is uh, Hansel had a very broad view of photography, not uh, just landscape, or not just black and white, or not just Yosemite. And so I was exposed to a lot of ideas through that, and a lot of great images, and made some good friends. Uh, one of my favorite photographers of all time is a guy named Jerry Yulsman who specializes in uh, combining images in, dark, in the dark room. Right. And the original compositor. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah. The pre way, way, way before Photoshop. And, and you know, meeting somebody like that, uh, uh, we actually traded photographs. So I got photographs of, from him and he actually put a photograph of mine up in his house. Uh, just, you know, uh, long-term friendships that um, uh, were wonderful, just a good, great education. I love that. I feel like, you know, nowadays the photography community is tight and it's it's very well connected, but I feel like it is kind of lacking some of that, uh, ooh, I'm going to use a probably a loaded word, but, you know, some of that, you know, fraternity, <laughs> you know, it's like a like a brotherhood slash sisterhood, you know, fraternities. And yeah, I feel, I feel like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of, of, of people, you know, trading images together and, and, and things of that nature. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it exists where there's a place where like, Oh, Ansel Adams is teaching in Yosemite and I can go learn from him all summer long. If I become an intern, like those, I feel like those, kinds of opportunities don't necessarily exist anymore. I'm wondering if you feel the same way or if maybe I'm just disconnected. <laughs> well, I think in the in the sense of a live workshop, that's uh, somewhat true. Uh, but you can also learn a lot more about a lot more photographers just through social media and, and uh, people's web pages. And so in a sense, um, you were exposed to a lot more images. Sure. Uh, 
you know, back then it was something um, much more narrowed down to, you know, what workshop you happened to show up at and, and who you chose to learn from. Uh, now you can just go buy everybody's ebooks or tutorials and learn how everybody does everything. <laughs> right. The question I always ask myself is how much do I need to know? <laughs> I know. Make a good I... photograph. Because, <laughs> because most people I teach know a lot more about Lightroom or Photoshop than I do. Right. I, I have my techniques, but I, I have to keep things very simple. And uh, it's struck me over all the years I've been teaching that, you know, do I need to know that? Is that a good tool or is it just making my brain go fuzzy in trying to make a decision about doing it this way or that way. So I've really chosen to streamline my approach to things and using a four by five helped that a lot because I used one for 20 years and you, you know, you don't have uh, any control over the processing. So you, you have to do what you can do in camera and then hope you can get things uh, worked out in printing. And now you have <laughs> And it was simple. It was simple in terms of composition, simple in terms of the output, um, and you had to make decisions, you know, right then and there, whether it was worth spending three dollars a shot. Right. Yeah. I mean, when there's sweat equity, you know, it's uh, an actual financial equity for every photo you take. It definitely makes you think twice before you push the button down. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people come to photography these days from other jobs and they, they get tired of it or need, need a, a new direction. Uh, I fortunately knew what I wanted to do before I got out of college. And so I never took a regular job. So I didn't have a nine to five anything and uh, never had the chance to get comfortable. So I lived, lived cheaply and um, uh, kind of worked at Ansel's Gallery, gave me a chance to learn a lot about photography without worrying about you know, making an income from it. Okay. So I developed a style from that during that time or a style or, you know, whatever direction that, you know, intimate landscape direction I uh, ended up taking. Yeah. I will say, you know, when I think of your work, it's, it's, it's definitely of that style, you know, of, of intimate landscapes. And of course that, style of landscape photography and nature photography is one of those that uh, I think is, don't kill me for saying this, but it's one of those that's much more appreciated by other photographers than the general public. True. I could, yeah. I could be wrong, but no, you're right. when I, you know, when I look at, I, I can look at that kind of work all day long, but if you would have asked me 10 years ago when I just got into photography, what kind of work I wanted to look emulate, it was probably not that. So I think, it's interesting that that's how your the style of your photography kind of went there pretty quickly. I feel like based on what I've read about your work and your in the book you had just put out. Well, being around Ansel and the people that were involved with him, it was a f pretty purist point of view. It was, um, you know, you're doing it for the art of it and not for the commerce of it, uh, for the most part. So, you know, that's. That's what I slipped into. You know, and I tried to tried to market my best work, my most creative work, rather than marketing my uh, you know what might be the most popular types of images. So I I've kind of fought through that 
I had you know, different commercial things I did to 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 make a living. Yeah, so a line of line of posters or you know uh, book projects were you know, assignments that I took that were uh, not artistic related, but they still helped me keep going and you know stay in business. Since I've been I've been self employed since 1984. That's amazing. Yeah, I I, um, I know I've talked about this on the show before, but I actually, thanks to the recommendation of my friend Michael Bellino, I was able to read uh, Ansel's biography from uh, Mary Street Hollander. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that's something that he struggled with. Well, I don't even know if it's the right word is struggled, but I know that was a reality that he faced too is, hey, I have this thing I'm super passionate about. But in order to make it work, I have to take on these assignments and and shoot things that I may or may not be totally into, but it makes me money. Like I know he he got totally blasted by the photography community for doing the the coffee can and all right. that stuff. And right, right. Um, I think that's something all of us artists somewhat struggle with is, you know, like this kind of push pull between, you know, how do I make money at this and stay true to myself as an artist? <laughs> well, his wife was running the Ansel Adams Gallery, and that was uh, uh, her father started the gallery as a painter's studio. And so the kids were, uh, Ansel and Virginia's kids were raised there, but Ansel had a studio in San Francisco, and that's where, you know, those commercial assignments were. But when I knew him, he was quite proud of having had to go through that. Right. I spent six years doing commercial work and he didn't tell you, you know, I was poor and broke, but you know, he did have to scramble and, and to, to, uh, you know, be away from the family and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. He had to try to balance out I and mean, that that's a challenging thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Let's talk about that because I know that that's something that you too have probably struggled with. You said you've been of you know doing this freelance since the '80s, and obviously you've figured out a way to make it work. And I know that that's something that a lot of other photographers struggle with, at least if not in reality, maybe like in their mind before pursuing it full time. It's like, how do I even do that? So what what is how have you figured out a way to make that work? You mean balancing commerce and art? Well, that family, and also just family and art. And, yeah, fa- fa- both family and art and commerce and art. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've, I don't know. It was just a, a process of of uh, getting my work out there and not trying to to oversell the commercial work, and and it ended up being kind of a segmented approach. So I was fortunate enough to um, have my work represented at Ansel's gallery, um, and he was the one who approved it. So I had that, uh, what I call like an artistic sanctuary of a, of a gallery representation by a famous photographer that, that gave my work some uh, standing and a place to show my best work. Mm-hmm. And so- No the- pressure. No pressure. The gal- <laughs> right. The uh, the gallery was uh, perfect for that, and and then that gave me a chance to you know, to sell you know some kind of average picture of Half Dome to for a poster, and 
and uh, help my help support myself and later on my family to um, to live with that dichotomy. I guess is the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you find that uh, that your your family through this process kind of just you know they 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 understood the realities of kind of the ups and downs and the sacrifices you would need to make as an artist and and that was just kind of the the way it was or like was it a constant struggle for you to to uh reconcile you know like oh yeah i could probably make more money if i pursued the commercial work more but that's not really where my heart is like i'm curious to know what that looked like for you well i'm i've made a intentional choice when my kids were born to stay at home mostly. So I, my wife and I were married nine years before we had kids. So we traveled a lot. I taught workshops around the country and I led tours in India and Nepal and China. Um, and then when the kids were born, I pretty much stopped. So I stayed closer to home. I did some traveling, but nowhere near as much. So I was able to, and since I lived in Yosemite, I could, I could focus there. And then some of a lot of the times I photographed as the kids were younger was um, on family trips. We'd yeah. go ca- camping at Furnace Creek and Death Valley, or we'd go camping in Big Sur, right. places like that. And I would um, get up at sunrise, and they'd sleep in, and I'd come back in time for breakfast. <laughs> you know, and it wasn't a problem. Yeah, it sounds like my my weekend. I just did that same exact thing. <laughs> yeah, they they. They grow up understanding that, and and maybe they're not out there trying to be photographers like you, but that would be kind of cool. But you know, they would stick around, you know, the car or some, and I'd hike off, you know, up a beach somewhere and photograph until it got dark, and they'd be, you know, back in the car by the time I got there and cribbing and moaning and hungry. But <laughs> you know, that's part of the deal, and they they, uh, you know, forgave me <laughs> pretty quick. <laughs> So. <laughs> I'm curious. Did uh, did it did did I, I don't know how how many kids do you have? I have two. Two kids. They're both, they're both in college now. Okay. Did did either of them ever, you know, take 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 on photography at all? No, not seriously. A little bit uh, okay. curious, curious about it, but uh, they pursued uh. other things. My my son was into sports, and my daughter was into dance, and that's where their passions were. So I didn't. Sure. Push, push anything on them, but you know, I I tell them, you know, they they can come over if they want. <laughs> oh man, it's like one of those things. Like, oh, I hope I can say something to get them excited about this at some point. Someday it'll stick, and it's still for me. My son's twelve, so you know, I I haven't figured out how to get him excited about photography yet. But uh, it's it's funny too because I'm also an athlete and. Mm-hmm. My son is not. He he's into music, and so it's like he's into all the things I never was into when I was growing up. So it's really hard to. <laughs> Sometimes they just go another direction, and you got to go I, with it. My dad was a journalist, a writer, and and when I started doing photography, he was and I had hired a lot of photographers to uh, illustrate articles and whatever he was up to, and. And so when I was getting through college, he was always told me, you know, well, you know, if you can learn to write, that'll give you a lot more opportunity uh, to to do, you know, whatever you end up wanting to do with your your actual photography. And and so, you know, initially I said, no way, 
that's what dad does. I, I couldn't live up to what his abilities were anyway. So, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't uh, go that way, but slowly I, I got pulled in that direction. And I, I think I was educated well as I was growing up to have my parents editing my, my writing. And so eventually, you know, that's where I ended up writing magazine articles and stuff like that. Yeah, I was going to say, you've been writing for outdoor photographer since probably before I was even in high school. <laughs> uh, well, for, my first article came out in 86. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. Like, uh, your dad gave you some awesome advice. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and he actually gave me some tips uh, when I started writing the column, just because it's hard to you know, know what you're going to write it next and you're on a deadline. So right. he just he just taught me to just start putting something down and you know let it let it ferment and then eventually it comes together. Yeah, so let's I would love to learn about how that all started for you with outdoor photographer. Yeah. So you've been writing for outdoor photographer since, you know, the mid-80s and obviously that industry has changed quite a bit since then in terms of how people consume that and how many people are consuming uh, magazines and whatnot. So I'm curious, first of all, how did you get started in writing for Outdoor Photographer and how has it shifted over time? Well, I found out about them coming into existence through a friend. And so I, I had, a, had, had a few things published. So I put something together and you know, I actually sent something out in the mail to them. Um, no email. So <laughs> right. I ended up getting the second cover, the the second issue in in 1985. Wow. And so I I got started to get to know the editor and and um they were looking for writers, so I was available and they wanted me to do some how-to sorts of things, which I didn't really want to do. <laughs> so, so I could have been doing a, a you know that type of thing quite regularly, but I wanted the first thing that I put out there to be um, more, more or less an artist statement and and not, you know, how to use the right aperture or something. Right. My, my orientation was very much on the creative side and uh, not on the technical side. So I was able to hold out for that and they, they went along with it, fortunately. And and so my, my first article in 86 uh, was called Intimate Landscapes and, and featured, you know, quiet photographs. And so uh, that was a good platform for me. And, and I did write, you know, more how-to sorts of things, but I just uh, did articles uh, now and again with them until 1997 when I started the uh, online on landscape column. Um, as far as how things have changed, I mean, as far as my writing goes, it, it's really the same thing. As far as how many people see it, it certainly has changed, and and um, uh, you know, it's it's what it is. It's the whole industry changed with with digital photography and, and uh, stock photography, you know, totally disappeared. And so um, I was happy to have an outlet to you know, put up a photograph or two and, and write a few words, uh, <laughs> you know? And so I, I wrote, uh, I have written just the other day, I finished column number 138 and, and it's an interesting challenge to have to come up with new ideas. You know, I usually end up going through photographs and, and deciding, you know, what lesson I can draw out of, you know, my process. Mm -hmm. As far as the industry goes, I think, you know, it's all shifted to 
you know, YouTube and, and blogs and, and it's great. It's just overwhelming. There's so much of that going on. There's a lot of good photographers out there, but there's a lot of, you know, average stuff going on. So it's, it's changed in the sense that there isn't the, the curator type of situation where a magazine editor or a gallery curator is, or a book publisher is deciding, you know, you're, you know, you're somebody we're going to publish. So now you just publish it and, you know, you do use social media to get it out there and, and, uh, everything re revolves around the, uh, the internet and, and that's okay. It's very democratic that way, but it's also, um, requires, uh, you know, some filtering for each one of us. Otherwise you're just overwhelmed with images. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. When I first started out as a photographer, I really found a lot of value in subscribing to a magazine like Outdoor Photographer. Uh, but I found that, you know, I mean, not to disparage Outdoor Photographer, obviously, because they've probably been a huge part of your life. Uh, but I found like the articles, you know, after time as a photographer, you, you're like, okay, I know these things that are being published. Sure. And it's kind of caters to like, I don't know, maybe like newer photographers or beginner photographers, oh, I feel like. Definitely. Yeah. That's okay. Um, I mean, new people are coming to the, the field all the time and, and they've yeah. kind of learned somewhere. So. Yeah, definitely. And I guess what I found is um, in terms of a magazine publication, there hasn't been anything that kind of is the next step of that. Like, okay, I've graduated from these types of columns. What's next? And I think the closest I've come is on landscape or just NPN. I don't, I don't know if how, and I know you've done both, you've done articles for both of those. So what are your thoughts on kind of the, the progression of how someone would consume that type of media? Well, I think it's uh, a great system. I think, both uh, those venues, you know, are, are a, a constant source of imagery and and ideas. So I think it's it's perfect, and in a way, it uh, it's not so heavily influenced by advertising. Right, so a magazine like Outdoor Photographer has to live by advertising, and so they they have to do an article about you know a lesser known camera brand once in a while. <laughs> and right. I've been to the trade shows, you know, as a under the auspices of outdoor photographer. And it's, it's an interesting, you know, schm schmoozing going on. And that's the way it was, you know, they need advertisers and sometimes that affects, you know, what gets published or, yeah. or who gets published. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's, it's fine that that's uh there's another Avenue for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I guess I, I kind of personally tend to gravitate towards, uh, sources of media that aren't gosh this is going to sound weird but they aren't constrained by those limitations in terms of you know if if readers want to consume something with a little bit more meat on the bones and a little bit more depth there there are places where you can get that like npn or 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 on landscape which you know or or yeah what else or, is there or lens work or lens work I, yeah i love your interview i mean but that's also a curated setup. I mean, Brooks has his, uh, you know, uh, has his has his venue. Yeah, and yeah, he's brilliant. And and you know, it's, I've always followed them. But it was, you know, just to be in published in that venue is um, 
is more prestigious than a lot of other places. So, right, because of the curation aspect. Yeah, and Tim Park and it on landscape, he uh, has a multitude of of interests. It seems you know he's interested in large format and 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 you know is up on digital, and so he's he's very diverse in that sense. Yeah, and that shows up in in his online magazine. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I agree. I I uh, I think those are those are all great great publications to to sink your teeth into if you want something with a little bit more depth than than uh, what a magazine that's limited by advertising revenue can offer. <laughs> right. Exactly. And you know, Brooks Jensen has you know published some. Just unbelievable work, and a lot of people that show up, you know, I haven't heard of before, and, and yeah. so he's discovering people, and he's publishing, you know, better-known photographers once in a while, and it's um, it's great. Absolutely. Well, so there's one other topic I wanted to talk to you about before we dove into talking in depth about your book that's about to come out, and I have taken copious notes from your book that I will just say your 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 book is full of inspiration and amazing things be, and that it drove me to write down all of these questions that I have for you but I wanted to cover one more topic before we did that um, all right, all right. <laughs> I, I think I'm I think I'm ready I don't know maybe maybe so <laughs> the the one last thing I wanted to ask you about before we did that was uh you know as someone who's been shooting with you know fellow giants in the industry and you've been doing it for such a long time. What is your secret for creating new work and staying creative for such a long period of time? How do we do that? I think that my secret is just that I'm curious about life and, and I want to learn more. It's uh, in terms of nature. I, I live in a place where I have, you know, some nature around me and, and uh, I, I, watch what's happening around me every day and and i don't have to make a trip you know three or four times a year to to get excited about you know the light this morning or um my lily pads blooming in my little waterfall pond and a lot of things (laughs) like that i mean I, i just think that you have to have that that sense of wonder for exploring because my photographs don't come from anything except that Mm. You know, I just want to experience nature. It's it's uh, nurturing to me and and keeps me sane. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny. As you were talking, I was just reminded of an experience that I had that kind of encapsulates what you just said. And uh, three weeks ago, I went on my first backpacking trip of the season, and it was you know after months of being locked down in COVID, and. Uh, <laughs> I'll never forget this. I was hiking and it's, you know, it's mid June here in Colorado. So, you know, it's still pretty early up in the high country in terms of, you know, life coming to life in terms of green and plants and things of that nature. And I was at a, 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 a high mountain lake at probably 11,000 feet. And, you know, I was surrounded by willow, uh, willow plants, willow trees and, they were just starting to bud with these little white puffy and red things um, with tiny little green leaves on some of them. And some of them just had little puffy white things. And, and the, of course the light, uh, the sun had just was starting to set. So the light was kind of coming through backlit through the, through these little puffy 
puffy guys on the willow branches and yeah. i was just encapsulated i you know i was like this is amazing and i don't know if it was partially just my own curiosity for nature or how long i'd been locked up in my house but those are the kinds of experiences as photographers that i think kind of drive us a little bit in terms of like oh this is i can't believe i just found this little scene here <laughs> yeah it's being an explorer you know you have to relish those ex discoveries and not if you over plan you're not looking for something yeah. like that well i've got to do you know the reflections or i have to do this you know certain type of shot at at a high mountain lake and you know you get too focused on that you you can miss things that are you know great photographs so you have to be open to to all things i think i'm not a very good planner and i don't try to be a super good planner and line you know line up where i'm going to stand and all those things i just it's going for a walk in the woods yeah. or, or an alpine lake and just seeing what uh, seeing seeing what hits me and, and it becomes a process of trusting your intuition mm -hmm. if i go for a backpacking trip i'm going to see amazing things Right. I don't know what I'm going to photograph, and I, I'm at a lake with, where there's a great sunrise. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. But I'm going to be happy just being there. It's so funny, you know. Probably for the first six years of my photography career, I was such a planner. Like everything was premeditated in terms of where I was going, what kind of photographs I wanted to get, um, and I guarantee. In that six-year period, I probably passed by thousands of amazing photographs. And I just, you know, it's part of the journey, but I kind of look back on that and I, re I regret it quite a bit. I'm wondering, if, did you did you also go through a similar <laughs> uh, process to kind of discover, you know, your kind of what you're into and, you know, or was it, did that just happen naturally for you and you were good to go? Like, what was that like for you? Well, I think that I uh, started that direction pretty early. And I was photographing close into things and, and just uh, started backpacking. And, and, you know, I was fairly destination-oriented. You know, I have to get back to work, so I have to go up this trail. I, I worked in Glacier National Park for two summers. And I'm looking at a photograph right now on my bookshelf of a, a Kodak Instamatic camera shot I took from the top of uh, Reynolds Mountain at Logan Pass. Nice. And, uh, you know, it was probably 1973. And I just, I was just running around. And the camera was, you know, what tagged along and, and got me going into photography because I wanted to show people views like that. Um, so it, it, uh, as far as the planning part, you know, I don't think I was ever much into that. <laughs> I just went. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, before I was <clears throat> quote unquote super into photography. I was the same way. I was just, I had a camera with me and I was going to places that I thought were cool um, and beautiful. And, you know, whatever I found on the way, I would take a picture of. Um, but as I got more and more into the photography, I found myself, I guess, maybe it was social media was having an influence on me um, in terms. And obviously, you know, back in 73, you didn't have to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the, you know, People love to praise the praise social media, but I think there's definitely some. It definitely can have some limitations on creativity in terms of how you see the world, and I would say that was definitely the case for me. And I'm glad that I've been able to to talk to and and meet other photographers that have different viewpoints about that because 
I think if it wasn't for my podcast and having conversations like this with people like you, I, I may not have stuck with photography just because it was such a premeditated, uh, oh, here's exactly the photo I'm going to get and it's going to look exactly like this and it's going to be amazing. Well, I think after doing that for a couple of years, you realize that's, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> well, I think the, the way it ends up working for a lot of people is that they, uh, you know, if your first way of sharing your work is social media, then, you know, the approval is part of the process mm -hmm. and it influences your, your photography. It, it's hundred percent normal. And, um, you have to consciously resist it, I think. Um, I think, but for me, you know, it happened in a, you know, back before social media, but I had a good chunk of time where I didn't have to worry about making a living and I didn't have to worry about acceptance. So I just went everywhere I could in, in around Yosemite and, and um, uh, my photography developed out of that. And then when I decided to leave, then I had to think about uh, what to do with the work. But in the meantime, I had, I had a strong sense of what I was interested in and, and what direction I wanted to go before the influence of commerce or in the modern day social media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Man, maybe that's a great way to segue into the huge part of the conversation that I want to focus on with you. And, and that's your new book, Light on the Landscape. And uh, thank you, first of all, for sending me an advanced copy of that and giving me the opportunity to look through it. I was thoroughly impressed by by everything that it was in that book. It's not just a, a show and tell of your greatest photos. It, it, there's a lot of really meaningful things that I think other artists can get out of reading it. So, and I have a lot of a lot. I have copious notes here. Like I said before, a lot of things I want to ask you about and talk about. But first, maybe just tell us a little bit about. What you know? How what was the evolution of you wanting to do this project, and kind of how did it come into fruition for you? Well, I mean, it came out of writing the column for so many years, and as I mentioned earlier, when I in my writing for outdoor photographer, I didn't want to be the the techie guy. I wanted to be the the arty guy, the guy who you know talked about the creative side. So that's where my interest was, and so. When I got the opportunity uh, to write the column, that's where I headed with it. And so um, for all the years I wrote, uh, as they accumulated, I, I recalled a couple of books that inspired me and uh, inspired a lot of other people is Mountain Light by Galen Rowell. I just got that book in the mail from one of my podcast listeners. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. and, and there's a book by Ansel Adams called Examples. So I, you know, I realized that I was writing about photographs in a, a similar manner, especially how Ansel was doing it, as you know, wrapping together some of the, the technical, but a lot of the the stories of making of the images. Yeah. So because of those two books, uh, I first wrote a proposal for publishers on this book idea about twelve years ago. So I circulated it through several publishers and didn't get any bites. And I and I had a pretty good, you know, uh, publishing history for books. I still couldn't get anybody to do it, and I just forgot about it for a while and did other things. And and um, 
know, seeing some of the people that are writing for the publisher, Rocky Nook publishes Jack Takinga and Guy Tall and Harold Davis and some uh, a lot of outstanding photographers. And and uh, I got to talking to Guy about it, and, and uh, he told me the right guy to talk to, and and uh, it got started. That's so awesome. I, I mean, I guess I'm sure I could have gotten somewhere directly, but um, I just wanted to see what Guy thought about working with them. And and then that opened the door to contacting them, which opened the door to doing this book. So the material was there. The hard part was taking a uh, little over 100,000 words, and we took it down to 48,000 words, hmm. uh, 60 essays. So that was a something that I, I thought of self-publishing something like that. And, and uh, I just couldn't get past the, the editing part because some things were written, you know, mentioning ink, inkjet printers that, you know, are way old news, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> so, right. I had to, had to do some updating and, and uh, uh, just some refinement to make them current and not, um, not old. Yeah. I'm, this is a, this is going to be a weird question, but um, one of the things. I'm expecting that from you. Okay, good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> as I was reading your book, uh, one of the first things that kind of struck me was that, you know, first of all, like I've always had this um, dream of writing a, a photography book myself and, but never really having an idea of, of uh, what it would even be or what, you know, what would be in it which is obviously the first problem, but um, was there any point in this process that you felt like maybe, um, maybe I'll rephrase it. At what point did you feel like you knew you had enough content and information and photos that were good enough to put in a book? Like, how did you know that was a thing? Well, that was when I started writing the proposal 12 years ago. So (laughs) about halfway through the column. So I had, you know, uh, whatever that would be, uh, uh, 60, 70 columns already 12 years ago. So that was, so, I, you know, it, it makes it easier when you're incrementally writing. So I had, <laughs> I had yeah. to be motivated, you know, the, the column was a good paycheck for me. And so I had to, uh, when they needed a column, I had to write it. And so, you know, when you're just writing on your own, um, motivation or, or discipline to, to get it done, it's harder. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I'm not sure I would have gotten anything written like this at all without that deadline and, and having a journalist for a father, I guess I had, had respect for the deadline. And even though I was always late by a day or two, um, <laughs> it, it kept me going and, and, you know, kept me, uh, putting ideas out there and, mm-hmm. and looking through my images and it helped me see where I was going with different things. So it helped me creatively to be engaged with, thinking about this tangent or that tangent or you know what I was doing in a certain style. Was I going anywhere with it? Was it a dead end? It made me think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess, you know, after reading your book, my one of the very first thoughts that I had was, wow, this is amazing. And I am nowhere close. <laughs> and that way, in some ways, I was kind of liberating, you know, like, oh, there's no pressure. Like, I have time to cultivate my own thoughts and, and, you know, obviously, you know, Bill's been doing this for decades. So in some ways it was kind of my own personal appreciation for time, you know, like 
you know, time and effort equals some really fantastic results as evidenced by your book. Well, and I think a lot of people are writing, you know, for either the online magazines or their own blog. And you just have to uh, start putting it together and see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a, all the time I wrote the column, I had a one word document that had all the columns in it. So, you know, 10 years in, I'm, I'm writing about depth of field and I don't remember what, which column I wrote about what exactly. So I was able to search through, uh, you know, words that I might've been referring to and on a certain subject and see what I had talked about before and, and, you know, what new could I write about it? And I also played off of images. So if you're thinking of writing something, just like anybody would write in a blog, you know, I was on this trip and this is, you know, uh, what I did, the stories behind it, and, sure. and the artistic, the physical exploration of, you know, climbing climbing a mountain or rafting a river or something, sure. and then, and then you, you know, what what lessons are in this? Right. No, I love that, and I, what I really appreciated about reading your writing is that you could tell that. Um, your the images that you make have a lot more depth and substance in terms of kind of how you have thought about them over time, which I think for many of us, I'm just going to speak for myself, but I hopefully, I'm sure there's a couple other people that reson this resonates with. That may not necessarily be the case a lot of the times. So um, I thought that was. Did did you find that to be something that came naturally, or is that something you had to? put more thought and energy into. Uh, into what again? I'm sorry. Just in terms of uh, how you were able to connect with how you talked about some of your images. Oh, well, I think you know, it's, a, it's a matter of wanting to share and, and trying to put things into words. So, you know, the skill is, is you know, the ideas into words. Mm -hmm. So it was, all, it was always a bit of a struggle to, to take the creative direction and or what inspired me to to stop here and frame it this way it's just it's kind of simple analysis of what what works in a photograph the light was good because of well as i went through your book i wrote down a ton of quotes that sparked lots of thoughts in my own mind and i thought they would be great great ways to talk about what's in your book one of the first things that i wrote down as a quote from your book is you wrote Quote, is my voice original and does that even matter? And I I think that's something a lot of photographers struggle with. And I wanted you to maybe talk a little bit about kind of why you decided to include that particular question in the book. Well, I had a, a student ask that question. So, you know, he was grap grappling with it. And this is just a couple of years ago. And, and I wanted to uh, help him, you know, get a sense of, where he might want to go. And so, you know, he, he wanted, you know, it's part of that need for validation <laughs> uh, that you, you know, all of us want, you know, to, our work to be appreciated, but at what expense, you know, are you, you know, following the social media uh, pull or, or what? So, uh, you know, I just had to write something that would help him find his direction. And, and that's where that idea came from. And I think it's something that I've, I've written about from other directions uh, much earlier in the in the 
whole body of work of, of the outdoor photographer columns. Mm -hmm. What would you say if someone were to ask you for you, does it matter to you that your, your voice be original? Uh, well, I like to think it is, but I, I don't feel I'm necessarily qualified from, from an outside point of view. I just have to know what, what I feel inside mm -hmm. that, that I, you know, did I enjoy do, doing that? Did it have value to me? And, and, mm. um, uh, does it matter to anybody else? No, I, I'm not sure I care. And on a, on the basic level, uh, mm -hmm. you know, enough to keep me going. So I, yes, I want to keep, uh, finding new images, exploring new things and keeping, you know, that sense of wonder and curiosity to, to keep looking for images. So it doesn't, it doesn't matter on, on, for the art itself. It, you know, it may matter to you know, my income or something. <laughs> I've, I've, sh I've shied away from a lot of things that could, could be more, more, uh, lucrative, lucrative. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. I, I mean, I got offered to, to do a cigarette commercial and I turned it down. Mm. <laughs> I'm not going to photograph and promote cigarettes. So that type of thing you have to, sometimes you just have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, being true to your personal values. Which, you know, when money is involved, some people, it's hard to resist that temptation. Well, yeah, and if you're shooting an, an ad campaign for Marlboro or something, you would be, you know, making, you know, fifty, hundred thousand dollars mm -hmm. So that's hard to, <laughs> I didn't even get far enough to know if, you know, what the amount would be. But, you know, it's uh, doing major ad, ad campaigns back in the day were very lucrative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I often... Personally, ask myself that question: you know, Does it matter if my voice is original? And, or, <laughs> not to get too philosophical, but it's like, why does that even matter? Why, like, why does it matter if, if my work is original or not? And um, I think it isn't. It's important to me. I think that people see my work as different than someone else's, but I can't necessarily put my finger on why that is. <laughs> my gosh i wish i had a good answer for that um yeah you just well, it, it's a matter you charge, of, extra, you charge extra for the therapy sessions right yeah yeah i can we can talk later okay um, okay but you know you have to trust your own instincts and what what you know gives you you know the deepest rewards not the money or the adoration but you know, it's really about the process more than the results anyway. Mm -hmm. So if I keep engaged with the world around me, then, and, and, and for nature photographers, it's, you know, usually a search for beauty and uh, that's valuable on a daily basis. I agree. Would you, oh, that's, that's an awesome statement. Would you say that um, as a nature photographer who is seeking beauty, have you found that that pursuit, uh, has made you appreciate other things in life that aren't nature, but that are also beautiful. Whoa. Well, that is extra. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, it's just a, a matter of enjoying life. So yes, I think it spills over into your life. It's a matter of yeah. you know, foundation of how you live your life. Yeah. I was talking to my wife the other day about this idea that, you know, as the more and more I get into photography, the more I find myself seeing kind of things that probably everyone else just passes by 
as kind of mundane. And I, I find those, I find really interesting things in the mundane now, which is kind of fun. <laughs> I, good, good. I don't know if you have the same experience as a nature photographer. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, you know, just like I said, looking for things around my house keeps me um, engaged with that beauty and it keeps me engaged as an artist. And then if I go out to Yosemite, you know, maybe it puts me in a better I don't know, frame of mind, just, you know, that I'm in, in, engaged in this because so many people that I teach only photograph on vacations so mm-hmm. a few times a year and they go out to photograph there. It takes a while to get, to get them warmed up. Do you have a, do you have an approach to that? Cause that's something I struggle with. Uh, like if I haven't taken, uh, if I haven't made photographs in a while, and I go out on a trip, I find that it probably takes me a good day just to kind of get back into it. I don't do, like, is there, a, do you have a way of kind of short circuiting that process? <laughs> well, not really. I think it's, it's, uh, it takes its own course. You know, you, you just have to, to be kind to yourself. You know, I'm not, gonna, <laughs> not, yeah. I'm not warmed up yet. You know, I, I forgot to do this setting or that. That happens to me all the time. Oh, well, that, that makes me feel better. Thank you. <laughs> I, I make lots and lots of mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Like- the famous quote, I, uh, John Sexton, when he was teaching, used to say that the only difference between me and my students is that I've made more mistakes. I love that. That's so, so true. <laughs> that's awesome. So well, that's part of the process is, is, is being um, okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I I find myself making mistakes all the time, and the more times you make a mistake, the I feel like the fewer times you make it, you know, over time, it's like, oh, I remember I should probably think about this. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, it's a it's an ongoing cycle. <laughs> and so it I, so hang, in there. hang in there, Matt. I will. I'll try. I'll try my best. Wait until you get old, like me. <laughs> <laughs> uh you're not you're not encouraged uh, that that okay just be used to failure i got it got it yeah. got it <laughs> that's where that's where the comment be kind to yourself comes from is right allow for you know and, and that's part of my approach is making things simple is that because i'm not overly technical that that probably creeps in more with me than most people mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. i'm not a i'm not an engineer type of mind or that you know from that yeah that direction i i grapple with technique as i try to express things god i better learn i better learn how to do that focus stacking because you know i i didn't get everything sharp you know god what's wrong with me so i'm I'm quite capable of berating myself (laughs) yeah well me too that's good so i'm I'm a i'm a fiery redhead somewhere underneath here underneath all the salt and pepper Oh, it's all the salt and pepper, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so another really awesome, well, I thought it was awesome, but uh, another quote from your book that I've resonated for me was that uh, you said that uh, great art is made from the heart and soul of the artist, not to gain the approval of others. And man, I mean, obviously, I think that re- probably would resonate for a lot of people, but I wanted you to have the chance to kind of tell us a little bit about what you meant by that. Oh my goodness. I think it's, 
you're going to have to read that again to me. Okay. Very good. It says, great art is made from the heart and soul of the artist, not to gain the approval of others. That's a really similar answer to what I was saying earlier about um, just wanting to be in the here and now and, and accept what's coming. The quote I always like to, to use is a minor white quote, uh, be still with yourself until the object of your attention affirms your presence, which is a, a Zen sort of thing where you're, you're not uh, aggressively like something like planning or over planning anyway, where you're, you know, you have to, they have to take a picture. So I'm not answering your question directly, but I think you, you have to be committed to the process without worrying about much else. So mm. if you're putting your emotions into your photographs, then, you know, the, the expressions will come out. And, and certainly not every time. Uh, many times, you know, Ansel used to talk about, you know, 10 or 12 great photo or really strong photographs a year was a very productive year. And by digital measures, that's like a bad year. So you have to you know, kind of set your standards and, and, and be committed to the process and let, let yourself, let your feelings come through. Mm-hmm. What, it's funny. What I got out of reading that I mean, for me personally is that um, I, I think a lot of photographers in the social media era have found, and people that I think probably a lot of people that are focused on selling prints too, or, you know, selling gallery images is there's always this kind of, um, voice in the back of your mind, like, will this will this image achieve this goal? Will it get me likes on social media, or will it sell a workshop that I want to teach, or will it demonstrate my ability for X, or will it sell in a gallery that I want to put it in? So I think for me, that's that's what it reminded me of was that when you're focused on those. Uh, exterior motives for creating an image, it's not necessarily always going to yield the greatest result from you as the artist. Well, and it's an ideal to strive for it. Nobody can really get there. I mean, it's, I think about commerce and, and, you know, maybe, you know, part of that is in the field where, you know, I want to make, um, you know, the most emotional images, but, you know, you know, maybe they don't sell. I just have to, to, um, forgive myself, I guess, not to, not to <laughs> worry. You know, it's a matter of balance, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. You know, you have um, the the intent to create an artistic photograph and other things filter into your mind. It's it's a matter of dealing uh, with that in a, in a balanced way, mm-hmm. that the commerce is not so overwhelming to you and the, the, the likes and the ador- adoration is not that um, overwhelming to you. Mm-hmm. Do you do you have any images that you've made that that you absolutely love, but you've never shown other people? No, hmm. no. I, I mean, over <laughs> so many years, I don't think so. You know, and and I think of uh, images that I decidedly get poor response to is is my high key work, and and I noticed that, but I, I just count it as a matter of of taste and and. You know, I I try to counterbalance the the push for dramatic photographs, and I take them, but 
I, I look for more subtle things most often. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um, I just try to keep that um, motivation to do uh, different things f- from within. You know, I take the high key photographs. I take all the blacks out. All the all the tones are from the center to the uh, right of a histogram, and and people look at them, and I don't know. It's just you know they they don't respond the same way, and I, I notice that, but I don't stop doing it because of that. So that's the it's just the internal belief in yourself. That's where you you trust your instincts to um, this is a direction I want to try. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh. also with impressionistic images. You know, I, uh, the weirdest thing that's happened to me is there's the the Weston Gallery in Carmel, which was um, Edward Weston and the family involved in very prestigious prestigious gallery, and and they I showed them my impressionistic work and they loved it, and it was like it was all the F sixty four school of people there, Edward Weston, Ansel Adams, mm-hmm. etc., and and they were open enough to to be interested in that photography, hmm. so that was rewarding. Um, you know, but some galleries won't show it. That so is interesting. What do I do? You know, is that you know that doesn't mean I stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a maybe an interesting uh, segue to another thing that you talked about in your book, which is you you kind of asked the question of what do I want to say with my photo- with my photographs, and I think that's a really interesting question to ask yourself as a photographer because that doesn't always mean that the end result is going to be something that other people like. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, that phrase came from more from teaching um, because people have a a lot of diverse interests in their work. And, and, and so in order to focus them, it's part of the process of developing, developing a portfolio is what, what are you trying to say? What is it forces you to, to, to decide those things in some ways I don't like to have to, to, you know, analyze things too much, but I think it helps students to think about what they want to say. And I, th- I think a lot of my essays in the book are generally about that. What, what was I trying to say? So I, in writing the, the stories, I'm, I'm thinking about what, what motivated me, what mood was, you know, the landscape was, was I in or the the landscape in was in. Is that a retrospective process for you or is it happening as you're taking the photograph? Well, it's retrospective. Yeah, interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm, same, I'm, same for me. That's, that's interesting. Cause I, I find myself not thinking about those things while I'm making the photograph. But when I look back at the photograph and my experience of making the photograph, I'm able to connect with those things uh, but not necessarily in the moment, huh? Well, it's a term that that I never really wrote about, and just started to hear the term recently. Is creative flow? I said, oh, that's a that's an interesting term. I do that, hmm. you know. I mean, it's it was a, a term for something that you know we all get in in the uh, excited about what we're photographing and get immersed in in the process, and you know, time disappears and and family gets neglected. <laughs> 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 right, yeah. I just did they, a, I just did a a huge backpacking trip with my son, and on our last night together, I left him alone at our campsite to go photograph sunset, like a thousand feet higher than we were, and like a mile away, and he was totally cool with it. But yeah, there's definitely part of me that was like, I 
need to do this quickly. Otherwise, I'm a bad parent. <laughs> yeah, well, so I guess nothing happened. So, no, we're all good. Everyone's safe. It's good. <laughs> but you have to have to embrace those experiences and and um, ride the light, as I like to say. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was one other uh, quote from your book that I really wanted to explore with you um, because it resonates. Uh, quite a lot with me. And um, I think it clearly resonates a lot with you because of your educational background. And um, also, first, let me preface it by saying thank you for uh, writing about and supporting Nature First. Uh, Appreciate that a lot. I'm glad to. And uh, the, 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 the quote you had in your book was, uh, the world needs more photographers with environmental and natural history backgrounds. And I just wanted to kind of understand why you think that, like what, what, what drove you to write that? What is your logic behind that? Well, I think it's related to, to people just having a greater understanding of nature, the environment, uh, natural processes. Uh, it's not, it's not a requirement to be an artist, but, but they do kind of wrap around each other when you're a landscape photographer. Um, so it was just uh, a wish, you know, that, that people were more involved and, and partly a wish for myself because I'm I'm not much of an activist and I've been an, an environmentalist for a long time, but I'm not extroverted enough to get out there and pound the pavement, but I, I let my uh, feelings out through my work, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something that, that you wish you did a little bit more of in terms of connecting your work with those causes? Yeah. Um, I do wish I had, but I also understand my personality and, and <laughs> so I, I'm, um, not too worried about it. One time I was at a workshop where Ansel was sitting in his living room and, and a bunch of students were there. Um, uh, and I was in back, I was an assistant, uh, on the, on the class during the, the session. And I, I asked him about how he felt about, you know, urgent needs to protect the environment and how that might affect an artist. I said, you know, do you feel like, you know, it would be better to photograph clear cuts and, and, and make, you know, strong political statements about things or to be, uh, you know, the pure art, purest artist. And, and he said, you know, be true to your art and, and the rest will follow. And which is pretty much what he did. He never. He he always said that he never took a photograph with environment, the environment, uh, or environmental protection in mind. Mm-hmm. But he, from very early on in his career, he did use his photographs of beautiful places to educate people and influence people. Right, and he was very heavily involved with uh, with the Sierra Club and as the board of directors. And I know he spent a lot of time in Washington, DC, trying to lobby for things that he, he was passionate about as a nature photographer. But I think you're right. He never did explicitly uh, take photographs for the sole purpose of, you know, supporting a cause, at least on the environmental side of things. Yeah. Well, he he was in the habit of getting up in the morning and and writing letters to senators and congressmen and, (laughs) Um, you know, he had a similar situation to what we have going on now environmentally, where there was 
uh, well, I don't want to get into it, but he he was writing. He caught the attention of Ronald Reagan and and uh, James Watt was the oh James Watt that's right Secretary of Interior that he was upset with right. And part part of his effort, oddly enough, was I mean he had he had a voice in the Sierra Club world and environmental world, but he chose to do an interview in uh, Playboy magazine uh, at that same time just to have a broader audience, really. Right. You know, I don't, whatever magazine it might've been, you know, it was the idea of reaching a broader audience with his, um, his point of view on environmental protection. Right. Cause I mean, otherwise you're kind of singing to the choir, right? Like if you write for the Sierra club, you know, it's like the people reading that magazine are probably already thinking the way you think. <laughs> right. It, exactly. <laughs> you have to, um, have to decide where you're changing minds and and helping people understand the the point of view of protecting wilderness, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been funny uh, through the course of the podcast. I obviously touch on environmentalism and protecting the environment and our roles at our our collective roles as photographers a little bit here and there. And I've actually had a few people leave comments on iTunes about this is an environmental podcast and. I just had to chuckle. It's like you realize without that belief system, you would not have anywhere to take photographs. Um, yeah. I'm not sure you understand that connection as a photographer, but it's true. Uh, well, yeah, that's a that's a whole other podcast. Huh? <laughs> You're right. But, uh, I did want to mention you mentioned Nature First, and I wanted to, to thank you and, and the whole gang that got that started. Um, and I'm, yeah. I'm happy to to say my next column will be featuring that uh, that effort. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, it's, well, um, I also mentioned NAMPA, too, and NAMPA was active early on uh, with their, you know, uh, ethics uh, guidelines and that sort of thing. And But I think this takes it to another level in, in a newer newer era. Yeah, well, that was, our, that was our hopes and dreams, is try to make it something accessible for photographers and Maybe even people that don't necessarily consider themselves as photographers, but you know they take pictures or they go to places because they think think they're pretty, um, and maybe they want to get a selfie there. Um, you know, we want people to just you know just be cognizant of what your presence in that place has on that place. So, well, I I list the the seven principles in the column, but my last uh, sentence of the column is leave no trace. So the the concept you know, for photographers and, and anybody visiting vulnerable places is to understand those things. Yeah, absolutely. And it also takes it, the, the principles take it to the level of, of, you know, how you share things. Because I've, I've been at this a long time, and there are places that, you know, I've published articles on that I, I wish the location wasn't named. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of the early photographers in Antelope, and I, I, I met the guys who, you know, really pioneered the photography there and uh, i never i've never labeled a photograph you know anything about antelope canyon even though people know now of course they know it is mm-hmm. but early early i didn't I want people to know where it was yeah it's and it's funny too because we get labeled as gatekeepers uh by the outdoor enthusiasm industry and then i think that's maybe just a miscommunication or misunderstanding because i'm certainly me personally, I, I don't want to prevent anyone from going to really awesome places. 
I just want people to be equipped with the knowledge and information they need in order to make sure that that place can also be enjoyed by other people just like them in the future. Well, and there are different types of places. And where I live in Oakhurst is right near Yosemite, but it's also near Sierra National Forest and Bass Lake. And there's a lot of uh, non-park activities, uh, you know, snowmobiling and, and off-the-road vehicles. And there's all kinds of places for them. And there are people in my town that just won't go to Yosemite because it's it's too protected. Hmm. Uh, but the point being is that there's, uh, uh, you know, national forests have one type of restriction types of, uh, has a different mandate than the National Park Service. Right. It's supposed so, to be in, it's, it's, I, I had this conversation actually early on in the podcast uh, with the National Park Wilderness Ranger, and he pointed out that it says land of many uses, you know, and there's a reason for that because it, the National Forest does have many uses. It's firewood, it's habitat, it's recreation, um, it's mining. So I well, think. But some of those signs when you entered our National Forest where they say land of many uses have, have been altered to say land of many abuses, but. <laughs> there, there's you know there's a lot of industry involved in national forests with forestry and mining and mm -hmm. uh, blm uh bureau of land management you know they they have a lot more industrial development for sure yeah it's the I mean, it's a tough balance resource, to resource, resource development but i mean you look at uh, uh southeast utah i mean there's like around factory butte that whole area has been reopened up to off-road vehicles and OHV use, and and you can just see the impacts of that on the uh, the character of that place has been changed. So, well, I think that people that complain about some of the restrictions have to remember that there are places that have more serious protections, wilderness areas generally, in national parks, and that there are a lot of places where all kinds of other types of recreation and resource development can occur. So it's, you know, not saying that not, not enough is, or that there, I'm not saying there is enough protected. There should be more protected, but, or things shouldn't be opened up like they have been, but um, just have to have to deal what's in front of us right now. Yeah. It's, it's a tricky balance. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Definitely. All right. All right, Bill. Well, so I would really love to know who would you recommend for the podcast? Okay. Um, I have that in front of me here. I mentioned uh, John Sexton earlier. John is a, is a brilliant artist and, and uh, very eloquent, as you heard him in Yosemite. Mm -hmm. uh, Charlie Kramer, the same way. Both uh, do amazing photography and are very, very good uh, at talking about it. Uh, there's a photographer in the UK, Bruce Percy, whose work I love, mm -hmm. that not a lot of people have heard about. Um, an old friend of mine, Lewis Kemper, uh, who does wildlife and landscape photography. We've been close friends for a long time, and he's he's uh, very good. He's taught me a lot about digital photography <laughs> going way back. Uh, there's a photographer in New England called John Worsniak, mm. uh, and I he's... Uh, color large format photographer um, he developed was very involved in the early days of digital printing 
a company called Evercolor and a lot of the, the predecessors to uh, Lightjet Prints. He was very involved with that. And then a photographer that is in Berkeley, uh, Joseph Holmes. That rings a bell. Uh, an old, these, most of these guys are old school guys. Joe Holmes has been at it for a long time and does tremendous uh, subtle and, and rich color landscape photography. Awesome. And he is, he's, well, a lot of these guys actually are, are sources of technical information for me. They are, they are <laughs> artistically and technically uh, brilliant. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, I don't think we, as artists or photographers, whatever you want to call ourselves, I don't think we give enough credence or credit to the the influence that uh, connecting with other like-minded photographers has on our ability to grow as artists. I mean, I mean, maybe some people like that's obvious to them, but for me, that's something that I've really valued in my process is, uh, you know, finding those people in my life and really uh, leaning on and appreciating the feedback that they can give me in terms of, you know, improving or tweaking something or help helping me solve a problem. <laughs> well, there's, there's an int- interesting uh, uh, approach to that, that you know about, you've heard about as photo celibacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, greatly appreciate that. I, I try not to be influenced by other people, but I also was raised by two history majors that, that, uh, you know, I think knowing some history of landscape photography is, is valuable. And I mean, you could go for years if you're photo celibate <laughs> and not, <laughs> and not know, know some of the work of the guys I've mentioned, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that goes for what's been written as well as what, what, um, um, what type of work they've done. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think studying, studying what other people are up to and what they have done, even just, it doesn't even have to be their photographs. It could just be their ideas. I think, I think you can gain a lot and improve a lot as a photographer and really just as a person, uh, just by spending that time. I think, I think it's time well spent. I think, I mean, not to disparage or uh, convince people not to purchase, you know, post-processing tutorials or whatever, but I think in the long run, you're going to be a better photographer by investing your time that way instead of figuring out the latest, greatest trick in Photoshop, personally. Well, just back to the photo celibacy, I think that that you have um, different personalities are going to, you know, different approaches are all valid. I don't, I'm not disparaging one approach over another. I think uh, balance probably is best for most people, but um, when you're developing and you're worried about being over influenced by what's being put out there, then, you know, um, go, go for it and and follow your path based on what's going on inside of you. So it's, it's a perfectly valid way to go. hundred percent. Cool. Well, Bill, this has been awesome. It's been a blast. Yeah, I'm. Uh, wh- how can people uh, get a copy of your book? Well, uh, my website has information on it. What's going on right now is that I'm uh, uh, have a collector's edition available, pre-order, where you can buy the book, the hardbound version of the book, which is a limited run, and uh, a 
one or two or three or more small prints with it uh, that is, a, a, I think, a collector's you know, way to go. And then you can go get the uh, book on um, uh, without, you know, without a print as well. And it'll be out in uh, August. So it'll be, you know, widely available uh, then. So I think the best place to go is, is to my website. Okay. For sure. Cool. <laughs> Definitely. And are you also going to do that as an ebook, or is it just going to be print? No, the publisher uh, is will be offering it uh, in both forms. Oh, cool! Very nice, yeah. awesome. Well, I think you know, having gone through it myself, I think I think photographers at all levels of expertise will get something out of reading it. So I think that's probably one of the things I appreciated the most about it is that it had something for everyone. So kudos to you for that. Well, good. Thank you. I'm glad you appreciated it. And um, it's already seems to be a lot of interest in it. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. You can finally, you can finally retire. Oh uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still have to get pay for my kids college. Right. Tuition. Right, right, right. <laughs> that just think is funny because I think most photographers, pers- like we don't want to retire. We just want to keep making photographs. <laughs> I always thought that for a long time. I never want to retire, and and I, and I will never retire from making images. Right, but I can easily retire from the uh, the marketing grind. The grind, yeah, for sure. For, I could see that. Thirty six years of self employment. That'll. Yeah, I was gonna say. One year of that probably is enough to drive someone crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. Well, I'm I'm I feel the weight of it just uh, over time, but it's it's been worth it, and and um, you know it's it's nice to be able to come out with a book like this and kind of feel the feel that I'm sharing something, giving something back to the the photography world I've been involved with for so long. Yeah, I love that. It's kind of one of those. Uh... It's cool to be in that part of your life where you can do that. I think that's great. Well, Some, something just, to aspi- aspire to. It's like, you know, writing your articles. You know, you just put your head down and before you know it, you'll have 50 or 60 of them. Right. And yeah. Just, and that's my approach. I, I don't try to look back much. I just keep trying to go, just keep trying to go forward and, and do better work and, and uh, share it. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Bill. This has been an absolute pleasure, and uh, hopefully we can connect at another conference in the future. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, cool. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem at all. All right. Well, thanks to William for taking the time out of his busy schedule to join me here on the podcast. I hope that listeners enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. If what William said about being stewards of the natural world resonated with you, I highly encourage you to join us over on Nature First. As always, there are links to everything that we discussed over on the show notes on my blog at mattpainphotography.com. I have an exciting announcement relating to my own photography that I wanted to share with the world here. I've been doing a ton of backpacking and recording a lot of video of my trips in the hopes of relaunching a YouTube channel at some point this year. If you'd like to be the first to see my new videos from 13,000 feet and above, be sure to subscribe and check it out. This sounds kind of silly, but one of my favorite things so far that I've created for the vlog is a slow motion video of a spider in its web between two boulders at 12,000 feet in the Wemenuch Wilderness area. It was awesome. 
Alright, well let's chat about what we have coming up. It is a very packed schedule. Next up on the podcast is Elizabeth Brentano. She's a fabulous photographer who recently created a video all about poaching and wildlife protection in Africa, which is certainly worth checking out. We talk about her video and her Instagram posts, which spark wonderful engagement on raw topics ranging from her struggles with anxiety to her mother's passing to how she's coping with COVID-19. I've also recorded already with David Brookover. He owns a gallery in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, filled with his platinum palladium prints. And so we talk about his journey in creating those. I've also recorded with Bree Stockwell. She's a kind of new photographer who challenged herself with the quote, impossible goal to exhibit 10 photographs in 2020. Um, Lots to learn from that episode. We've also recorded with Felix Inden. He is a photographer living in Germany who loves photographing in the Arctic Circle. We also talk in depth about our shared struggles with balancing photography and a full-time job and all the other things we want to do in life. Well, we have a lot of other amazing episodes planned for this summer and this autumn, including Mark Mwench, Eric Bennett, Cole Thompson, and Gerard Armijo. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.